Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Sound Consulting. Good morning and good morning, Nina. Morning, Karen. First time we're together. I know. This is fun. We're going to have some fun. (laughs) So it's a shame Andrew can't join us, but he's in Singapore and I think you're, hopefully he's able to sign in. So if you're here, Andrew, hello to you. I hope you're having a great time. Some other big news as well. In, uh, was it Lawyers Weekly, I think, today? Yeah. We have the uh, Baston Group joining FCW. Yeah, very exciting. I think, was it 1 June? 1st of June they will be joining us. So it's really nice to see the firm expanding once again. Yeah, it was on and upwards, they say. So it's fantastic. <laughs> now, we do, even though Andrew's not here, we've got a heap of content to get through. So you're playing Andrew's role today. So yep. you're going to be doing most of the talking, <laughs> which is fantastic. All right, let's go. So, All right, so really big news today, this week really. Uh, so the Fair Work Commission have made a provisional view to introduce 10 days of paid family and domestic violence leave for permanent employees into all modern awards. That is pretty big. Yeah, so it will be a accrual that they can do at max 10 at any time. It's not available to casuals or independent contractors, but going to be huge and The reason they made the change was the prevalence of family and domestic violence during the pandemic was just absolutely awful. So they said, look, it was about time to make the change. We won't know the final terms of the model drafting until 17th of June, Mm -hmm. but it's looking at the moment that they'll get paid it as a base rate of pay, so not inclusive of any allowances, loadings, things like that. But, yeah, really interesting. At the moment, nothing about whether it's going to be introduced into the national employment standards as of yet. Mm-hmm. Labor have committed that they will introduce it, but if Liberal is elected tomorrow, actually tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow. yeah, then they've said, look, they're going to put forward a submission, but I don't think anything's going to change. That's major developments in that space. So I guess once those details come to life, it will inform everyone. Yeah, yeah. That's Exciting things coming. <laughs> Very good. So in terms of cases as well this week. Are there other bits of news that we needed to cover off this week? No, I think that's it. It was pretty big. That and the election. (laughs) That and the election. Don't forget to vote tomorrow, everyone. All right. So our first case is another anti-vax case, but that's not why it's important. Typical anti-vax case, hospital, hospital services attendant refused to get vaccinated in line with public health directions and they were terminated over Zoom after they went through the normal processes. Mm -hmm. What was really unique about this case was the employee's daughter actually chose to secretly record that final termination meeting. And in the decision by the commissioner, they found, yep, clearly valid reasons because the employee couldn't perform the inherent requirements of the job, but went on to find that the secret recording in itself constituted misconduct, Mm -hmm. which was really interesting because in Victoria, under the Surveillance Devices Act, it's actually perfectly lawful for anyone who's party to a conversation to record that conversation. Mm -hmm. But the commissioner said, irrespective of whether it was lawful or not, the secretive nature of recording it with obviously ulterior motives in itself was very dishonest Mm -hmm. and was enough to undermine the employment relationship, which is why it made it misconduct. Yeah. 
So I guess we could really easily get lost in this case, Nina, in that it can become an issue around is it about can we or can't we record? Well, it appears that that could appear as the issue, but the underlying issue here comes to the relationship between the employer and the employee in terms of that trust, that honesty, whether or not it can, um, whether it's tenable, yeah? yeah. And if it's where, and looking beyond this specific case anyway, it doesn't matter what activity or conduct, you know, we might be talking about. If there is question around dishonesty or trust where an employment relationship can break down or is questioned, that becomes in itself an issue that can result in what we would call serious misconduct, yeah, which would lead 100%. to dismissal. Yeah. Yeah. So don't use that so broadly in terms of that means, <laughs> okay, so that means you can do apply that in every case. But that's what the, the heart of the issue is. Yes, exactly. All right, on to the next case. So this one here, Karen, is a hilarious case. So it involves a small business, a cafe, mm-hmm. who employed two baristas. One of the baristas said, look, I'm going to go take one week of annual leave and the Owner said, look, that's fine, but given there's only two of you, I'm going to have to hire someone else. If I hire someone else when you return, there's obviously going to be less hours. And the employee was like, yep, all good, no problems. She went on leave, came back, was really unhappy about her decreased hours, but decided I'm not going to raise this with the employer. Instead, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And she engaged in essentially a sit-in. So she would attend work and then just stay past her rostered hours. Refused to leave, co-workers told her to leave, ignored all phone calls from her boss telling her to leave, absolutely would not leave until she deemed she was ready to leave. Mm-hmm. She did this on two other days, rocked up on days she wasn't even rostered on and decided to work and basically threatened the employer saying, look, I'm going to keep doing this unless you decrease everyone else's hours and I will keep doing this and make you pay me for these hours that I'm going to work. And the employer said, look, enough is enough. You're a casual employee and we no longer need your services. Despite being terminated for the next week, she continued to show up disturbing customers, disturbing staff, and she had to be physically removed by the police before she finally agreed to leave. So she filed an unfair dismissal claim, God knows why, (laughs) and her behaviour just continued. During the proceedings itself, she actually received a formal written caution from the commissioner because she was intimidating the employee's witnesses as well, sending them abusive text messages, telling them not to say stuff. So you can just tell this was not a great employee in any sense of the word. Obviously, in this case, the commissioner found it was very clearly not an unfair dismissal. So because it was a small business, obviously, you've got to apply the small business dismissal code, which considers what was the state of mind of the decision maker at the time, whether they had reasonable grounds to believe that the conduct justified immediate dismissal. Mm -hmm. In this case, no question, her behaviour kept continuing despite many repeated efforts by co-workers and the boss to get her to stop. Other than termination, there was nothing else that they could do to stop her behaviour. Right. So that was a bit of a colourful case. Um, And hopefully no one on this briefing has ever experienced that or should ever experience that. So takeaways, Nina, anything, key takeaways for that? Because I'm I'm just lost. (laughs) You're just trying to process it I'm just trying to process it. Like, that's just wild. Look, I think the main key takeaway is that 
it's not up to an employee to decide when and where they can work. If they have legitimate concerns and complaints about the hours and the rosters they've got, there are proper channels to raise it. Yeah. And if they don't do that, then you're perfectly within your right as an employer to have them removed. So in situations where you are terminating that difficult employee and they're refusing to leave, you are perfectly within your right to get the police or security to escort them off the premises. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting case. All right. Now, our final case for today was an appeal case. So I think we spoke about this one probably a couple of months Mm -hmm. back. So it involved Cube, who was basically in the middle of protected industrial action by their stevedores. Stevedores, oh, gosh, I hate to pronounce this word. (laughs) And basically because of the protected industrial action, they directed six shift managers to perform the duties of a stevedore. And the shift manager said, look, can you give us some clarification about what you expect us to do because we're not qualified to do that. And Cube, instead of consulting with them, was like, nope, we're not giving you anything, just do what we tell you to do. Mm -hmm. So understandably, the shift manager said, look, we're not going to do that because we don't even know what you want to do and it's probably not safe to do so. And then Cube decided to terminate them immediately, claiming that they had refused to follow a lawful and reasonable direction. Mm -hmm. And at first instance, the commissioner said, look, there was no valid reason for the dismissal at all because the direction in itself wasn't lawful and reasonable. Cube was directing them to do work outside the scope of their position description and their duties. So therefore, definitely an unfair dismissal. Understandably, it got appealed because the commissioner failed to consider any of the other factors to do with whether it was harsh, unjust and unreasonable other than the fact that there was no valid reason. Mm -hmm. And the full bench said, look, that was an error in his decision, but then actually went on to find that there was no issue whatsoever with his reasoning about whether there was a valid reason or not. In this case, the employees were ready, willing and able to work Mm -hmm. and they were ready to perform the duties that were under their position description. The issue in this case was actually with the employer for refusing to be transparent and open about what exactly he wanted them to do. He didn't consult with them about it. And for those reasons, obviously, directions were not lawful or reasonable and therefore it was unfair, harsh, unjust and unreasonable. Mm. Okay. So I think in this case here, when it comes to, I probably want to take a moment to talk about position descriptions because Mm. The thing that comes to mind is, well, at what point people have core duties and responsibilities as part of their role, but to what extent can we direct people to undertake additional or alternative kind of duties um, that are away from those core duties? And I think I get asked this quite a bit, and the answer to that is, well, we can get people to do different things, but it depends, right? So it's all context-dependent. It depends on who it is. It depends on the, and when I say who it is, it depends on their skills, their experiences, their capabilities, their willingness as well to do it because, you know, that often reflects whether or not people know how to do it and feel safe to do it. It depends on the circumstances around um, the workplace as well, whether or not it could be that we're short staff or we simply don't have people or a variety of different business-related reasons. All that affects 
how much, what you can get people to do, how much of you, you can get them to do and how long you can get them to do it for. Yep, now, underpinning all this, though, Nina, is the need for consultation, isn't yes, it? Because exactly. I might have for all the right reasons because of the business and because I know you can do it, but if I don't talk to you, there's a fair chance that, you know, it's not going to work well, is it? Yeah, and you're not going to agree. But also by failing to consult, you might not know what else is going in the employee's life. Like mm-hmm. they might raise you, look, I actually have this condition, which is why I can't do that. Or, you know, I had a previous bad experience with this, so I'm not able to do that. So they could raise very genuine safety concerns, which would place you in breach of your safety obligations because you failed to consult yes. and you're getting them to do unsafe work. Yeah. So huge, huge reminder to always consult with your employees if you're wanting to get them to do anything that's outside of their normal duties or outside of their position description. Yeah. Fantastic. Very good. Alrighty. So now we've got today, so that's all the cases for this week, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So we've got parental leave. Yeah, mm. big topic at the moment. It is a big topic. And I think, well, is it the in terms of how has that come up in terms of the election so far, Nina? Are we are we hearing noises? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think it's actually one of the key things that the main political parties are trying to entice voters with. Mm-hmm. So I believe on the Liberal side, they have committed to keeping the 20 weeks at the national minimum wage, but it can be equally shared between the partners as opposed to the current system where it's 18 weeks for the primary carer and two weeks for the mm-hmm. partner. And they will be increasing the income test mm-hmm. from I believe it's like $151,000 for an individual to a combined $350,000 for a household. So it will allow more people to access it. Labor is much more generous, obviously. So they will be changing the national employment standards so that unpaid parental leave will increase from one year to two years. And also they've committed to increasing paid parental leave to 26 weeks at an employee's actual salary. Oh, that's And, weird. yeah, to pay super on top of that as well. Okay. But still unclear about how that's going to be exactly funded. I think it's a combination of employer and government. Well, I think that they're, look, they're, uh, they're both enticing. I think, well, they're definitely mm. improvements to what we, we have oh, and certainly um, yeah. will draw the attention of, of families or growing families. So, no, that's great. On parental leave, I guess what we want to talk about today, Nina, is that we often get questions around what an employer, or when I say we, as in from an employer <laughs> standpoint, what we should be doing, whether we're doing enough on that part from a compliance point of view. The other part of it is that what is it we, how can we improve what we're offering at the moment, but not, but do it in such a way that is sustainable? Because yeah. from an employee value proposition standpoint, mm-hmm. there is a lot more happening and developing in this space yeah. to to draw. Yeah. Similar winning votes, but also winning employees yeah. as well. So I've seen, for example, certain organisations would um, not only just providing paid parental leave, and that's for mums and dads, but doing that in terms of qualifying periods where, you know, you don't have to be there for six or, or six months or 12 months to pretty much qualify it from day dot. Yeah. We're seeing an uptake of people being taking on new jobs while they're expecting and openly. Yeah. So, and it's a great change, very positive, but well, let's get to the practicality of it. What we've got here, and this is really, this is stuff that honestly probably all of you know already, but we're just going to refer to to help prompt in terms of, look, how is your readiness and preparedness from an employee-employer perspective across three phases, yeah. which is before parental leave kicks in or people employees take parental leave, what happens during and what happens 
after or in preparation of them returning yeah, to work. Yeah. So, Nina, you take a pick of where you want to, what you want to talk about and where you want to oh, go. Perhaps what, like what do you so get? There's so many up? things there. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps what's, I guess, a big one that you get asked? Look, there's a whole bunch of different things and I think parental leave is one of those really, really tricky entitlements. So everyone kind of knows basically what the entitlement is, but it's, it's always the niche question. Mm. So a really common one we get asked is, after an employee has been on parental leave for a long period of time and they're wanting to return to work, but say they're wanting to do reduced hours, change to part-time, but it's a full-time role, Mm -hmm. what are you supposed to do in that circumstance? Mm -hmm. And very clearly it would mean they'd have to put in a flexible working arrangement request under Section 65 of the Fair Work Act. Obviously, employers have 21 days to respond to that and can only refuse on reasonable business grounds. And look, it's a really tricky situation in those circumstances because very often they are asking for something like, you know, normally I do a full-time role, but I only want to work a full-time role, a four-day-a-week role. Mm -hmm. And then the employer's left in the tricky situation of how do I fill this role where it's only one day a week? Like Mm -hmm. I can't reasonably hire someone to do that. And if they can't have those duties absorbed by someone else, it's just not feasible for them to do that. So that would be a valid ground Mm -hmm. to refuse it. The award has even more onus obligations and you actually have to engage in a proper discussion with the employee about it. You can't just do the consideration by yourself. You have to have genuine consideration for what they raise. And when you put the reasons in writing, you actually have to outline any alternative arrangements which the employee can accommodate to see if there's a way to meet in the middle. So then what happens, Karen, when you've reached the end of that point and you can't get to a situation where both the employee and the employer agree? Unfortunately, in that case, if the employee is ready and willing and able to work, but then refuses to come back, you're left with the choice of issuing them with a lawful and reasonable direction. And that just gets messy Mm. as well. So look, it is available as an avenue for you, but we don't recommend it because it's not great for your culture. And also another thing to remember is you've got to think about the history. If you've been allowing other employees to return back in a part-time capacity, and then you're just treating this one employee unfairly, you've got huge risk of a general protections claim. Yeah. And it depends as well, Nina. It depends on what the work is. For example, if you're working in a very operational kind of role, let's say at a a warehouse or something, that's going to be quite different to me when the person's a commercial manager, right? Yeah, So it is, I guess, in principle, what's required of us is quite straightforward Mm -hmm. and it's easy to understand, but the challenges come down to the practicality in terms of application because we have, there's such diversity in roles Mm -hmm. and circumstances that makes it really tricky. I will just while we, and those those couple, if there's any part of these little prompts here that you're unsure about, please just drop a note to Nina and she'll, she'll gladly speak (laughs) to you about it. Okay. She's always lovely on the phone. So she's, She's as lovely on the phone as she is on air. But one thing I just want to touch on quickly, Nina, is around consultation. Yeah, that's a huge one. Yep. Tell us about that. Well, I was going to say, Karen, that is something that I find a lot of employees forget about. So employee goes on parental leave and a whole bunch of things change and look, they don't notify the employee. They think, you know, I only have to consult with them if their role is going to be made 
redundant, Mm -hmm. which is completely wrong. There's an express obligation under the Fair Work Act where if there's any kind of change, the employee's role, employee's hours or anything that's going to impact them, you have an obligation to consult with them. It's not like the employee goes on parental leave and you forget about them, which... That has happened. A lot of times. Lots of times. A lot of times. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any tips, Karen, of like how you would maintain that kind of relationship with the employee once they're on parental leave? Yeah, that's a good one, Nina. So, look, I think before people want, before um, an employee goes on leave, it's a great time. Make sure you make the time to have a conversation with them to support them while they're away. And by that, decide, look, how do they want to be communicated? Um, is it email? Is it a call? Do they want to come into the workplace? Is it okay and appropriate to bring their, their, their baby or their child into the workplace? Or do they want to be left alone? Mm. What kind of correspondence do they want to receive? Um, let's say uh, business correspondence and team correspondence. Mm. Like all that stuff is really important because we really need to, if you can settle that, that will help in terms of keeping people engaged while they're away and help them in terms of their, their readiness to return back to work. But that's probably the easiest thing you can do. But look, I think we've got to move on from parental leave, okay, because we've got a, a case study that we've got to get through. But mm-hmm. anything that you need on, on that topic, please just reach out and we'll be very, very happy to help you. All right, so case study time. Okay, so even though Andrew is not here, he did write this and he's probably putting a couple of tricky things in there for me. So Constance was a barista at Le Café de Couchon in Melbourne's inner north. Now, for those who are a bit rusty on their French, Couchon means pig, Okay. <laughs> She had a Certificate 3 in food handling and had attended a one-day course that rendered her a qualified barista. The owner, Pierre, had struggled through COVID. Whilst the restrictions only limited allowed limited patrons, he had asked his team to assist with other jobs, cleaning, washing up, waitressing. Is that right? Waitressing. Waitressing, yeah. Waitressing. <laughs> so many S's. Anyway, Constance had agreed and chipped in with washing dishes and waiting on tables, spending minimal time making coffees. In November, when hospitality venues could return to full occupancy, Constance asked Pierre if she could stop doing other work and just be a barista. Pierre asked her to wait until Christmas, after Christmas, as he was still short-staffed, having lost all his overseas workers. Constance asked Pierre to at least pay her correctly, explaining that he had been paying her as a waitress, not a barista. Pierre explained things were tight and since she was mainly doing waitressing, did I get that right again? It was yeah. appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> it was an appropriate rate of pay. Believe in yourself, Karen. I know. I'm just like, oh, anyway. She agreed but uh, said it wasn't fair. By February, nothing had changed. Constance's hands had started to redden. She saw a dermatologist who said the chemicals they used for disinfecting tables had a high risk of causing injury to anyone's hands and the business should provide gloves and she needed to avoid the chemical completely. The following week, Constance spoke to Pierre, secretly recording the conversation on her iPhone. She explained the chemicals were dangerous and she refused to use them without protective gloves. She said she only wanted to work as a barista and demanded back pay for the period her pay was reduced. Pierre scoffed and told her to stop the nonsense before directing her to start cleaning tables straight away. Constance stayed seated and refused to do any more waitressing tasks. Pierre said, seeing you won't do what I direct you, you are fired. Constance kept the recording. Okay, so question time. I think there are a couple of tricky ones that Andrew put in today. He relished doing he that. He probably didn't expect the me saying waitressing as yeah, a tricky one. Yeah, I think one. he thought some of the other ones would throw you uh, off. The couchon. Yeah, my French isn't that bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was very giddy when he showed us the case study. <laughs> so there was a few things that could throw Karen off. Yeah, all good. Okay, so question number one. 
was it lawful to record the conversation? Was it unlawful, you mean? Unlawful. <laughs> I should probably look at the screen. <laughs> yeah, so, look, because it's based in Victoria, under the Surveillance Devices Act, it wasn't unlawful to record the conversation, even though it was done secretly, because she was a party to the conversation. Mm. And that would be the same in Queensland and Northern Territory. The other jurisdictions are much stricter about that kind of thing. Excellent. And so we've got... Was the termination unlawful under safety legislation? Look, so it's a bit of a tricky situation because in this case, the employer was terminating for her refusal to do the work, but the underlying reason for her refusal was she made a complaint that it was unsafe to do so, mm -hmm. and instead of directing her to do other duties, he said, go back to doing cleaning. So you could clearly see that the termination was as a result of her safety complaint, which, yep. as we all know, is expressly prohibited yep. and constitutes discrimination. Yeah, and he was, had total disregard for that, despite the fact that she raised it. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay. Number three we've got here, does Constance have a legitimate claim for underpayment from the date her pay was reduced? And she consented to undertake alternative duties. Yeah, so in this case, there is really kind of a fine line as to whether she actually consented or not. There's nothing in the facts to suggest there was any kind of written agreement confirming the variation of her terms and conditions of employment. And although she, though she agreed to it, she made it very clear that she had no choice to do so and really she wasn't happy about it. So it'd be really hard for the employer to argue that there was a repudiation mm -hmm. that they had done and she had accepted, which yep. resulted in a new employment relationship. I think she'd have really strong grounds if she went to further Gondsman to bring this yep. underpayment case. Yeah, no, that's good. And lastly, does Constance have a valid general protections claim? I think everyone would get this right, 100%. He's terminated her because of her complaints about her employment, her complaints about the safety staff, 100% and she would definitely win. Well, there yeah. you go. Go Constance. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So we've got in terms of an event that we want to share with you. Um, yeah. about, we've got details. Are we loading Thank that you. up yet? Oh, I've got, I've got news to share. Yes, yes, Karen okay. does have news to share. Oh, don't, don't. Are you excited? <laughs> I mean, probably sad. Everyone, I've had a, I'm really, I, I guess, with a full heart, I'm going to share <laughs> with the community that uh, I've made a decision uh, that I'm going to be moving on from consulting. We are so, devastated. Oh, well, it doesn't really help given that you're smiling. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I made a decision a, a number of weeks ago. Um, I've been thinking about it for some time. I love the work that we do. I love the work and the clients that I have. Fantastic. The best time the last couple of years. But um, I've gotten to a stage where, you know what, I just want to take some, some time off and um, probably pursue a different path. And uh, I'm very happy to share uh, what I'll be doing or what I'll probably be getting up to soon, but I'm trying to sort out those details over the next week. But, look, I, it's very happy news. I'm excited about what you guys are going to be doing and how this yeah. this uh, is going to, this format's going to evolve as well. So what that means is that I've only got a few more of these workplace briefing briefings left, and my last one will be Briefing 100, which is on the 17th how of June. Exciting. There will be something coming out to you all, I think, through email, to register, we will be running that uh, briefing live here um, in the city. In-person events? Yes, in-person yep. events. So if you're available, I'd love to, to see you here. And uh, I think I'll be hopefully seen off then as well. Yeah, no, please come so. and join us in farewelling Karen, who's been such a big part of this the whole oh. time. Oh, <laughs> as if she's sleep. All right. Well, with that, Sophie, um, think those details you'll send out. Here we go. Excellent. Okay, so she will send out that information. But, look, given that you're on LinkedIn, 
any feedback that you can provide for us, including these emoji icons, yes, press please. one. I think they're all positive, so it doesn't really matter which one you press. Yes, please press them so that we can prove to Andrew that he can leave and go, enjoy his holiday and feel like everything's well, going to be in fine. Fact, you know what will stir him up more? The fact that we, you know, that they run a little bit better when he's not here? Yes. Oh, that would yeah. be really upsetting. We need to prove that to him. <laughs> All right, people. And, in fact, we're running on time. There you go. So, yeah. look, we're wrapping up for the week. Thank you so much for joining yeah, thank us. thank you. And um, Have we'll a good see weekend. You. Indeed. Yeah. All right. And remember to vote tomorrow. Yeah. All right. All right bye, bye, everyone. everyone.